You can open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Back in the 23rd Psalm, once more, what is planned to be the final time. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. May God bless his word among us this evening. As we come again for sheep talk number three, or sheep talk number last, uh, just a few comments by way of introduction once again, the familiarity with the psalm. If, if, it, if there was a risk of being overly familiar three weeks ago when we first looked at Psalm 23, it is increasingly so now that this is the third time that we've looked at it together in a public meeting. What we want to avoid is allowing our familiarness with the psalm to conceal or hide any of the numerous benefits and blessings. And it is my hope that they will not be concealed, but we will see the benefit, the peace and the rest and the satisfaction that is offered to us in this psalm from David inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us. David penned it. He was the author. He had a lot of experience being a shepherd. But he also had a lot of experience being a needy sheep. And though he penned it, every one of us who belong to Christ, when we read it, we ought to also be able to say, I could have written that. That's been true for me. We would not be able to do it quite as eloquently. Well, some of you could. I couldn't. But we ought to be able to say, yes, this story, that's my story too. The Lord is my shepherd. I hope you've begun to talk like this. I hope you are increasingly desirous to talk like this. The Lord is my shepherd Therefore, there is nothing in this world that I lack. We are in great need of a shepherd because as sheep, we are very dependent. We are incredibly foolish and we are ridiculously stubborn. David was well aware of how much he needed a sheep. He had life experience of being a wandering sheep. And my guess is the same would be true for every one of us, if we're honest. We are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. David knew what it was like to be surrounded by enemies, both within and without. David even knew what it was like to be attacked from within his own sheepfold. He had a son who was after him at one point. 
So Psalm 23, though very familiar, though wonderfully eloquent, it does provide a glimpse for us into actual reality. Because for each one of us, like David, life does have green pastures and quiet waters. But that's not all life has. Life also ventures through the valley of death. Life actually culminates in death for everyone. And in the midst of life, we face evil and we face enemies. So what David is saying here is reality. It's not an idyllic poem, and it's not unrealistic. It is a reality. It was a reality for David, and it is a reality in some measure for every child of God for all time. Now, just briefly, a running start, getting up to the last three verses that we will cover this evening. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, we said, was a confident declaration. Second half, I shall not want. There's a comforting deduction. There are, there's an inference or an implication as a result of the Lord being our shepherd. We lack nothing, no good thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Rest is given from the shepherd to his sheep. He leads me beside quiet waters. Refreshment is granted from the shepherd to his sheep. He restores my soul. Restoration is given from the shepherd to every one of his sheep. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. He guides us in righteous ways. And then the final three verses. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? How? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are my comfort. You, God, you, my shepherd, you prepare a table before me, right before the face of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, David concludes, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days, not to the end of this day, not to the end of this week. Surely goodness and, kind, and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And not only that, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If we split these three verses into three points, the pathway in verse 4, the preparation in verse 5, and the pursuit in verse 6. So the pathway through the valley, the preparation of the table, and the pursuit of God's children by God himself. Verse 4. The pathway through the valley. If this psalm, the 23rd psalm, is the most familiar and most often quoted psalm, which I think we would all agree that it is, then this fourth verse of Psalm 23 is the central focus and most familiar of the entire psalm. In fact, if if we read it, it's hard to imagine a more reassuring set of words or a more comforting phrase ever being penned. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with me. His rod and his staff, they are my comfort. Now, coming out of verses 1 through 3, we see that David has a full 
anticipation of reality. He's not making the Christian life sound better than it actually is. He's making it sound exactly as it is. From a sheep's perspective, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in the midst of the darkness and the gloom, a sheep would be timid and afraid and reluctant and full of panic. And I don't know about you, but that describes so many of us so often. Timid, fearful, reluctant, on the edge of panic and anxiety. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David's not just referring to death. This is not just a psalm that is written for the deathbed. It's often read then, and rightfully so. And death is included in the valley of the shadow of death. But that's not all that David is referring to. Many other experiences of life are included in this statement from David. He doesn't say, even though I walk through death. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And this phrase, this literally a dense darkness in the original, shows up time and again in other passages. Listen to Job 24, 17. For the morning is the same to him as thick darkness, for he is familiar with the terrors of thick darkness. That's what David's talking about. Though I walk through the valley of the terrors of thick darkness, or Psalm 44, 19, yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Or Psalm 107, 10, there were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. Or Jeremiah 2, 6, they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt. These are all phrases throughout the scriptures that help us understand a little bit more of what David is emphasizing here. In fact, this phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, is often used in other literature to describe horrible trials, extreme difficulties, and dangers. It is literally, as I mentioned, a valley of dense darkness. I mean, just think about those two things combined. It's one thing if it's really foggy outside. It's another thing if it's really dark outside. And combine the two, and you get that dense darkness. You can't see. You don't know which way to go. Everything seems confusing. As I mentioned, it, it's not necessarily about the experience of death. It doesn't point to death, but a time of great darkness and great trial is the way that John Bunyan stated it. Two other Johns, Owen and Calvin, also agree. The point that David is emphasizing is that the experience that he's referring to that is Sometimes the experience of all sheep is so trying, so deeply affecting, that it feels like death itself. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
we could call it a living death. This is the way the Apostle Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 11 when he's listing the persecutions that have happened to him in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, in deaths often is the way that Paul says it. This is a present tense reality for David. David's not dying when he writes this, but it's happening. Even though I walk, he doesn't even say even though I walked or even though I will walk. It's present reality for believers. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this statement is for us, for you, for me. It's for the intense trials that you face. It's for the great difficulties that are on the horizon. It is for those dense and dark times. It is for loneliness and for anxieties and for depression and for anguishing realities. It is for that dark night of the soul, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. And David's not alone. We can read of Joseph and Moses and Jacob, and Elijah, and Jonah, and Job, and you, and me. Very, very few, if any at all, of the Lord's people will escape these valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David anticipates the valleys because he knows already from experience that they are not avoidable. He understands that the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. There are valleys in this life, and we must cross through them. And then there is the valley, when death is a mere shadow no more. Death is completely unavoidable. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. It's unavoidable. Not everyone, but most everyone, will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Every single one of us will walk through the valley of death itself. Death is an enemy. It's the last enemy. It's a great enemy. The last enemy that will be abolished, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, is death. So David anticipates walking through these difficulties. He describes the reality well. It's characterized, as we've said, by darkness. It's a shadow of death. It's it's the chilling coolness of death. It comes with a numbness, a gloominess. And even in the midst of that, the reality for David is, yes, it's dark. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's distressing. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Hebrews 13, I will never desert you, the writer of Hebrews is quoting, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Now, we have probably dwelled on the valley of the shadow of death enough that we should back up just momentarily And remind ourselves that we must not forget that it is the same Lord that leads us to green pastures and still waters, in verse 2, that is leading us through the dark valley, in verse 4. 
He's a God who does not change. He's a good God. He is good and does good. The the place with the worst spiritual danger for us as believers can also be the place of the greatest spiritual safety. Think of the disciples of Jesus on the boat, in the storm, very dangerous, but perfectly safe. Because Christ is there. Because he was with them. It's why David can say here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because you, God, are with me. We're actually in the greatest actual danger when we're on our own and trusting in ourselves. The greatest trial of our faith is to have no trial of faith. It leads to presumption and self-confidence and self-sufficiency. Those are the most dangerous enemies of our souls. The safest place we can be, you are with me, near him. Now, notice with me a transition that happens between verse 3 and verse 4. Verses 1 through 3, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, there's a massive transition here in verse 4. David goes from speaking about the Lord to speaking to the Lord. You. He doesn't say, I fear no evil, for he is with me. This is where the the psalm enters into a more intimate aspect. Not in the rest and refreshment of verse 2 and 3. There's a measure of intimacy enjoyed there. But the intimacy rises to another degree in the darkness and distress of verse 2, uh, pardon, of verse 4. He makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me. But when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, God, are with me. When things are going well, we can be happy and content speaking about the Lord. But when difficulties arise, when we find ourselves in the dark shadows then we find out what it means to speak to the Lord. And we see that transition happening here. We see it in the life of Jonah. He speaks about the Lord on the boat with the sailors. But when he finds himself in the belly of the fish, he cries out to the Lord. We should note, since I mentioned Jonah, that the experience of the dark valley is not necessarily due to sin. It can sometimes be, but consider Job. He went through a valley far deeper than any of us. Was the most righteous man on the earth. Or better yet, consider Christ. There are times in our lives that the valley is necessary in the Lord's providence. David anticipates these difficulties. And he's real about it. And there's a confidence In the midst of him being a realist, he knows that facing these dark seasons is completely unavoidable. Yet also, as a realist that is balanced, he's also confident of the Lord's grace for the valley of the shadow of death. It's as if we can hear David saying, I expect to travel through this valley. But I am calm and confident as I consider it. Because I'm not alone. He is with me. Or to quote it exactly, you, God, are with me. Though a host encamp me, Psalm 27, my heart will not 
fear. Pardon, encamp against me. My heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. David is confident here. I fear no evil. None. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David is confident. His rod, his staff is my comfort, David says. The rod and staff was used for numbering the sheep, keeping up with every single one of them. The rod and the staff was used for protecting the sheep, beating off the enemies and rescuing the sheep and encouraging the sheep and comforting the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only is David without fear in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, He's without discomfort. It's hard for us to imagine. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let's attempt to wrap our minds around that. Even though I walk through the valley. Not to the valley to be left alone. Not toward the valley, just pointed it out to be lost in the midst of it, not around the valley to avoid avoid any difficulty, but through the valley with him. We experience nearness, a greater degree of nearness as we pass through the valley. The statement comes with a guarantee of escape. We're coming out on the other side. We're going through it. We're not going to stop in it. It's going to be dark. It's going to be dense. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be distressing. It's going to be difficult. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they will be my comfort, David writes. And that would be enough, really, after verses 1 through 3. And then David puts a little stamp on the end here saying, even in the difficult times, God will be enough. That would be good. But he continues on in verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Again, stop there. Put a period. It's wonderful. But he keeps on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is very similar to Jesus saying to his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's not really the way things would work. Normally, a wolf would go in the midst of a flock of sheep. But Jesus flips the tables, we might say. Where a wolf would normally go in the midst of the sheep, Jesus sends his people out in the midst of wolves. And then he follows it up there in Matthew 10 and says, don't worry. Imagine that. A sheep in the midst of a pack of wolves. And Jesus says, don't worry. Why not? The next verse tells us. Because the spirit of your father, it's in you. The same reason that David says here, I fear no evil because you're with me. He prepares a table in the presence of the enemies. Now, again, you and I would never do it this way. We would show up on the scene, wipe away the enemies, and then lay the banquet spread for enjoyment. That's not what God does. He just lays the banquet right in front of the enemies. He 
promises to care for his own in the midst of our enemies. The table is prepared with protection right before the face of the enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. God, your God, Psalm 45, 7, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Prepare a table to feast with abundance. Gladness will be your near companion as you face your enemies. Imagine this. It's hard for us to fathom. Your head will be anointed with joy in the presence of your enemies. It's hard for us to even fathom how it could be possible. And David says it's a reality for the believers. You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, God, have anointed my head with oil. A picture of joy and gladness all throughout the scriptures. And again, put a period there. And it is sufficient, but God doesn't stop there. My cup overflows. Martin Luther said it this way. He called it a brimful. Filled up all the way to the brim and trickling over the edges. The King James says it very well. My cup runneth over. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says the same thing in wonderfully helpful language. In all these things, verse 37 of Romans chapter 8, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. My cup overflows. That's overwhelmingly conquering. What are these things that Paul is referring to? What are these things that we overwhelmingly conquer? Tribulation, just backing up a verse or two, we can see tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. It's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's dealing with evil. It's facing enemies. In all these things, Paul says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. David says, in all these things, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Does an overabundance, a brimful, a cup running over, overwhelmingly conquer, does it not describe what God has done for you? William Gatsby said it wonderfully well in his hymn, Immortal Honors Rest on Jesus' Head. My God, my portion, and my living bread. In him I live, upon him cast my care. He saves from death, destruction, and despair. He is my refuge in each deep distress. The Lord my strength and glorious righteousness. Through floods and flames he leads me safely on and daily makes his sovereign goodness known. My every need he richly will supply. Nor will his mercy ever let me die. In him there dwells a treasure all divine and matchless grace has made that treasure mine. Oh, that my soul, Gatsby continues, oh, that my soul could love and praise him more, his beauty's trace, his majesty adore, live near his heart upon his bosom lean, obey his voice and all his will esteem. There is a pathway through the valley of the shadow of death. 
There's preparation of provision, a table in the presence of our enemies. And I've said it before, and it's worth saying again, the psalm could stop there, and there is no lack. But it continues on, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. The pursuit from God of his people. The pursuer. Rather than thinking of the pursuit of the sheep, think about the great pursuer of the sheep. That's what's happening. God is chasing us down to conquer us with his love, to dump out mercy into our lives. God, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, the question, what is God? This is the way it's answered. God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful, that's loving kindness, and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. God is good. God is merciful. Therefore, surely, God in his goodness and in his mercy and his loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, being pursued is not something that we think about as being a positive. Usually, if someone is chasing us or something is chasing us, it's not positive. But verse 6 of Psalm 23 is an instance when we want to be pursued. By God, who is good. It's really difficult to say exactly what good means when we attempt to define this very simple, often used word. It's very common in our vocabulary. Our only option at the end of the day is go to the thesaurus and just go through the Rolodex of, the, of synonyms. And you go round and round attempting to define what it means that God is good. He's kind, he's cordial, he's benevolent, he's tender-hearted, he's sympathetic and friendly. He's inclined to bless and he's inclined to take pleasure in the happiness of his people. His goodness toward those in distress is seen as mercy. His goodness towards those deserving punishment is grace. His goodness toward those continuing in sin is patience. His goodness towards those who trust in Christ is love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, the psalmist says, for he is good. Mark 10, no one is good except God alone. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Again, the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. You are good and you do good. Everything that God has ever done is good. His creation, he said it himself, was very good. His creatures, they're good. His law, good. His plans, good. His ways, good. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, said he is essentially good. Not only good, but good itself. It's this goodness that David says will follow me, will pursue me, 
will chase me all the days of my life. That's amazing that God in His goodness is tracking down every believer in order to show Himself as a good God. But it's not just goodness. Loving kindness is coming too. Mercy, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail, Jeremiah writes in Lamentation 3. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. The Lord is good, Jeremiah continues, to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. Surely loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. His loving kindnesses are new every morning. Every single one. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. You will not see a morning where his loving kindnesses are not new. He is faithful. His loving kindnesses never cease. His compassions never fail. They do not wax or wane. They are constant. They flow from the Son himself who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. And they aren't just out there somewhere. But they are chasing you down day after day, morning after morning. His mercies are on our heels all the days of our life. Every single one. The best day of your life, His goodness and His loving kindness were following you. The worst day of your life. His goodness, his loving kindness, they were hunting you down. When sorrow and grief threatened to swallow you up, his goodness and his loving kindness were following you. When you faced the life-threatening diagnosis, his goodness and his loving kindness were pursuing you. When you lost your job, when you failed that exam, when you laid your loved one in the grave, you can feel in the blank, no matter good day, bad day, every day of your life, God in his goodness and his mercy was pursuing you. And the final phrase, it just gets better. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, Psalm 27, 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here David takes all the days of my life, God is pursuing me in his goodness and his loving kindness. And he extends it even further. All the days of my life and the rest of time too. And even outside of time, David ups the ante here from, from all the days to forever and ever, everlasting, eternal. Samuel Medley, writing with regard to this theme, said, Though numerous hosts of mighty foes, though earth and hell my way oppose, he safely leads my soul along. His loving kindness, oh, how strong. Loving kindness, loving kindness, his loving kindness, oh, how strong. When trouble like a gloomy cloud has gathered thick and thundered loud, 
He near my soul has always stood. His loving kindness, oh, how good. Loving kindness, loving kindness, his loving kindness, oh, how good. Soon I shall pass the gloomy veil. Soon all my mortal powers must fail. Oh, may my last expiring breath, his loving kindness sing in death. Loving kindness, loving kindness, his loving kindness sing in death. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We considered last week that he guides me in the paths of righteousness. And we found out this week, one verse later, that one path of righteousness that he leads his people in is the valley of the shadow of death. He guides me in the paths of righteousness, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've alluded to this already. But we should draw it out in closing, the emphasis on the shadow. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only a shadow. It's not the substance. The shadow cannot harm you. The shadow of a dog will never bite you. The shadow is fearful, but it cannot harm But where there is shadow, there's always substance. You know what else is present when there's shadow? Sunshine. You are with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. But death will be a reality. And it is an enemy. The last enemy. But it's also a defeated enemy. The Lord is always with you in sunshine and in shadow. He is near to his own. May God help us to live in and bask in and revel in this wonderful reality. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. And because he is our shepherd, we live in his ever presence. We believe his constant good promises. We benefit from his wonderful protection. We take part in his sufficient provision. We experience his preparation of a table for us, the pouring out of oil and joy and gladness. And not just the shepherd's presence and promise and protection and provision and preparation and pouring out. But we benefit from the shepherd's pursuit. It would be no fun to constantly have a yapping, ankle-biting dog chasing us day in and day out. But it would probably benefit us all to imagine the Good Shepherd following us right on our heels with goodness and mercy all the days of our life, every day. Waking up again and again to the reality that his mercies are brand new and towards us they are on our heels moment by moment, day after day. 
So in this life, it's goodness and mercy. And in the next, it's dwelling in his house forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. May God help us to live there and to continue learning to talk like sheep. Is he your shepherd? Make him your shepherd. And you will not want. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are a good, great, and chief shepherd for us as your people. We thank you for your word. And God, we beg you that by your Holy Spirit you would take the truths contained in the scriptures and press them deep into our souls, that we might be a people who really do live like we belong to you, that we would believe that there is no lack because we have you, that we would make room in our lives to lie down and rest in green pastures, that we would take advantage of the refreshing, quiet waters of your word, that we would recognize the restoration that is provided to us in Christ through your Spirit's work in our life. God, give us the grace to follow you as you guide us, in paths of righteousness, even when it's through the valley of the shadow of death. God, give us grace to fear no evil, recognizing that you are the good God who is full of loving kindness and that you are pursuing us day after day, comforting us with your rod and your staff, preparing all that we need, even in the midst of our enemies, the enemies within and the enemies without. God, we thank you that you have anointed us with gladness and with joy to the point of overflowing. God, we long for the day when we dwell in your house forever and ever. Until then, God, keep on pursuing us with goodness and loving kindness all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.